Thank you all for coming. My name is John Herbst. I am the director of the Dinu Patritsu Eurasia Center. And we have a wonderful program today to talk about the Black Sea. I'd like to thank Frontera Resources for helping us provide this program. Uh, I am not going to describe in any detail our speakers. We have a distinguished group of speakers. Uh, we have Ross Wilson, my predecessor, is the head of the Eurasia Center and an ambassador, former ambassador, U.S. ambassador to Turkey and to Azerbaijan. We have Captain uh, Steve Harrell, who's now at the Atlantic Council as a senior fellow. Uh, we have Ambassador Mayor, the ambassador from Romania to Washington, the former head of Iranian intelligence. And down on the left, we have Bill Courtney, a former U.S. ambassador to Kazakhstan and to Georgia. And with that, I'll turn straight to the conversation and let our speakers, you, you can read their bios, let our speakers talk about the region, and I'll try and moderate the discussion. Thank you. Ross, over to you. Good. Thank you very much, John. It's a pleasure to be back uh, at the Atlantic Council to see quite a number of familiar faces here. Um, what I thought I would do is really focus my opening remarks on three things. First, how, in, in my view, Turkey views the Black Sea and issues of Black Sea security. Second, how, how this has played out in the post-Cold War environment. And third, uh, provide some suggestions for U.S. policy uh, as we look at uh, Turkey and as we look at Black Sea security. How Turkey views the Black Sea. I think Americans tend to view uh, issues, foreign policy and security uh, issues in that part of the world through the prism of NATO. Turkey certainly does. It also it, it looks at it through the prism of the Turkish Straits and the legal regime that governs the Turkish Straits. Uh, for those of you who know the history, from 1453 until World War, World War I, the Ottomans and then the Turks controlled the Turkish Straits. It was vital to the security of the Ottoman Empire, uh, vital to the security of Istanbul, uh, Constantinople, and then Istanbul. Uh, and its loss after World War II to an international body, the loss of control to an international body that administered the Straits with little real regard for Turkish interests was, uh, was a significant setback for Turkey. A, a more significant achievement for Turkey, 1936, the Montreux Convention, a Turkish initiative to negotiate a new regime for the Turkish Straits that provided for Turkish control, exclusive Turkish control over that waterway. It established uh, a regulatory mechanism for uh, naval vessels, uh, some very significant limits on foreign naval vessel transits through the Straits, uh, how often they can transit, how long they can be. Non-Black Sea state uh, warships can be in the Black Sea, uh, and tonnage limits um, establish a regime of free passage of civilian craft. But the key issue there is Turkish control. And if there's one bedrock of Turkish foreign policy that endures from the 1920s or 30s, I think to today, that, uh, that, is, uh, that is it. And I think Turkey's Black Sea policy, by and large, flows from that priority. Turkey looks at Black Sea security uh, issues and straits issues through the prism of Turkish security, and in particular, the Montreux Convention and the rights, the privileges, prerogatives that that provides to Turkey in protecting its security uh, along, that, uh, along that waterway. Maybe some bending of the rules takes place from time to time, but as long as those basic rights get observed, extremely important uh, to Turkey. Um, and I'll just give a little bit of an aside. A number of years ago when I was serving in Turkey, a senior uh, American official who had been a very senior official uh, a number of administrations earlier came through and told me about his visit 
to the, the area along the, Blacks, along the Bosphorus hillside uh, where he was shown uh, an area of mines that were attached with, by chains and ropes to the side of the Bosphorus that, that with, the, with the pull of a rope uh, could send all those mines down into the waterway, block that waterway. And, and the interesting thing he told me was very clear that this was, this was something that could work either way. This was very much in the Cold War context, keep the Russians in, keep others out. That, that, the ability to control that waterway is extremely important. How this plays out kind of in the, post, uh, in the post Cold War world. In the 1990s and the 2000s, the US and other, uh, uh, United States and other governments have made it a, uh, an issue of Black Sea security, concerns about terrorism, about nonproliferation, smuggling, other, uh, other things of that sort. Turkey consistently very wary of, of what uh, others were proposing. Um, for one thing, they were never really convinced that there was a problem of insecurity as it pertained to terrorism, nonproliferation, smuggling, uh, and the sort. Not a, a big problem anyway. They required a, a massive international response. But more important, they were afraid that others would use this vehicle, this concern about Black Sea security, as a way to insert themselves into this legal uh, and political regime of which Turkey is at the center to regulate the Turkish Straits. Not interested in that, not interested in giving the United States a specific role there, we're not a party of the Montreal Convention, not interested in sharing its prerogatives with, say, Romania and Bulgaria, become members of NATO, of course. Um, uh, nothing that would undermine Turkey's rights, privileges, prerogatives, uh, interesting in any way, shape, or form. And also, I think, a certain amount of concern on Turkey's part that activity, more activity, by NATO, and, and in particular by the United States, could cre actually create insecurity for Turkey where little or none, uh, none existed. Um, the, the counterpart to that is consistent Turkish work to promote cooperation in this area. Not very serious cooperation and not very serious work, I think certainly in retrospect on the part of, the uh, part of Turkey, but not unimportant. Black Sea Economic Cooperation, or BSEC, a kind of counterpart to, uh, to APEC in the, in the Far East. Uh, the uh, Operation Black Sea Harmony, a Black Sea, uh, a Black sea um, uh, Maritime Force, all of which were mechanisms that should include all the literal states, include Russia. Turkey very focused on avoiding confrontation, on keeping itself in the center of the Straits regime and, and through that uh, uh, in the center of uh, Black Sea issues. Obviously, uh, well, in that period, relations with Russia largely free of significant uh, difficulty. Um, uh, and, and there was speculation, I think, eight or nine years ago, Turkish-Russian alliance, which I always thought was ridiculous. Turkish-Russian relations, correct, uh, profitable, mutually beneficial, but never warm, uh, never particularly serious. Things start to take a turn in the Georgia-Russia war in 2008. Uh, Turkey supporting Georgia, horrified by what's happening, uh, angry, I think, at uh, President Saakashvili for allowing it to happen, very focused on Montreux, both its rights, its responsibilities, and the opportunities uh, that Montreux provided, supporting the United States, um, not in ways that would contradict uh, the Montreux Convention. So when there was interest in sending a large uh, US uh, naval hospital ship through the Turkish Straits, that was like three to four times the legal tonnage limit that warships are allowed 
uh, allowed non-black sea uh, littoral states are allowed to transit. That that wasn't going to work, but but uh, we were successful in working with Turkey to maximize the opportunities uh, provided to the United States, provided to other NATO countries, to transit ships and keep ships in the Black Sea as a uh, as a, at least a modest deterrent. I think. Uh, in terms of Russian adventurism. Um, in, the, in the present period, and others can address this probably better than I can, as, uh, as Turkey's relations with Russia have deteriorated over the last uh, number of months, as Turkey's ambitions, I think, have increased, including on the naval front, uh, this relatively harmonious, uh, harmony-focused uh, Turkish policy may shift. I don't think that it has yet. U.S. policy in the region. Um, uh, there, we have, there are plenty of areas uh, for conflict uh, in the world. There are plenty of areas for conflict with Russia. Um, it seemed to me that one of our priorities is to keep Turkey with us, with the United States, and for the Black Sea to be as secure and peaceful uh, as, uh, as, can be, uh, as can be accomplished. So specifically, it seems to me, Turkey, as the controller of the Straits regime, needs to be in the lead for NATO on matters related to the Straits and related to the Black Sea. Um, not asking it to do things that are in contradiction to Montreux, which, to which NATO is not a party, uh, but, but um, a putting Turkey or having Turkey in a leadership role, I think, is one way to, um, to manage uh, Montreux-related issues. Promote Romanian, Bulgarian, Turkish cooperation, including in particular uh, related to Black Sea security issues, naval security issues, economic development issues. There's some history, of course, to relations among those countries. I think this is a long-term proposition. And I would say this area, and in particular the, the Bulgaria-Romania, not necessarily Turkey's priority, at least of all now, given the other problems uh, both in and around Turkey. Uh, but, but anyway, a, an area to focus on. Third. Uh, focus on technical things that we can do, uh, straits traffic management, as the United States uh, uh, has been involved in to some extent, in supporting <coughs> Operation Black Sea Harmony and it's in cooperation with uh, Operation Active Endeavor, the NATO counterpart in the Mediterranean. Uh, continue periodic NATO exercises in the Black Sea, again, in ways consistent with, with Montreux and with Turkey in a prominent position. Uh, and then fourth, support the development of the Turkish Navy, uh, and, and in particular in the Black Sea, and that Navy's uh, connections with NATO. I hope I've been within my time limit. I'll close Thank there. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ross. Uh, yep. Please. Yep. Thanks, sir. Uh, good morning. Thank you. It's uh, good to be here, and I think this is a very important topic uh, as we talk about the Black Sea uh, and what the transatlantic community should do for it. Uh, before drilling down into the specific military balance question, I did want to quickly uh, take a step back. Uh, so when we talk about the strategic environment, the new or emerging strategic environment that NATO, the U.S., the West are facing, uh, we're talking about essentially Russia challenging uh, the U.S., challenging NATO in, in economic arena, challenging uh, the EU. And so we talk about uh, NATO's eastern flank, and a lot of that talk ends up focused on the Baltic. And that's appropriate and right, but we also risk losing sight uh, of the Black Sea. And just like the Baltic region, uh, you've got NATO nations, you've got Russia eyeing a potential buffer area, uh, wanting to expand their sort of security sphere 
Uh, there you've got partners who aren't NATO nations that uh, add some complexity to the mix. But from my perspective as a naval officer, uh, the key thing in both of those regions, but definitely uh, in the Black Sea, uh, not necessarily those states with borders and some clarity, uh, but those global commons areas. So you've got the international airspace, the international water space. So as uh, one, uh, Russia potentially tries to push, expand their security boundaries out into that international space, uh, you definitely have a situation that's ripe for encounter uh, or even for miscalculation. Uh, so it's important to look at what's happening, uh, again, in the, in the water and air spaces, uh, and then that's where that military balance comes into play. Uh, if I had one single takeaway uh, on the topic of the military balance, I would say that Russia does have a significant anti-access area denial edge uh, in the military balance in the region. Uh, so anti-access area denial, or A2AD, uh, what do we mean? There's not a page in Russian strategy or doctrine with A2AD uh, at the top. That's our perspective of what those uh, potential adversaries have done. Uh, and what they have done is they figured out a way to hinder uh, us, the U.S., the Western nations, uh, from doing what we have displayed since 1991 in Desert Storm, what we would want to do with our military forces, and that is to get in uh, and then to use our technological edge, standoff weapons, et cetera. Uh, so A2AD is talking about that potential adversary uh, arraying a range of sophisticated, uh, modern, uh, and especially long-range weapons to keep, uh, to keep us at bay, to deny us the ability to do what we might want to do. That includes land-based surface-to-air missiles, uh, land-based anti-ship cruise missiles, uh, in other cases, surface-to-surface, -surface, uh, short-range, intermediate-range ballistic missiles uh, to strike. But that A2AD, A2AD network uh, also includes the submarines and ships. Uh, so as uh, you move those platforms in and they're on the water, they at the same time can have those same long-range capabilities. Land attack cruise missiles, uh, anti-ship missiles uh, on the ships, on the submarines, uh, as well as their own uh, medium to long-range surface-to-air missiles on the ships. Uh, and then finally, uh, when we're looking at that access denial, it's about all domain access. Uh, so it's also a denial of the West, U.S. military use of cyber, the electromagnetic spectrum, uh, and as well our, our space capabilities that we're very dependent on. So the land-based part of that A2AD network uh, uh, with Russia, uh, a key factor there in the Black Sea is that following the annexation of Crimea, uh, Russia very quickly started moving some of those capable modern long-range systems into the Crimean Peninsula. Uh, it's S-400 surface-to-air missiles, bastion uh, anti-ship cruise missiles. Previously, they had those capabilities in the Black Sea, east of the Kerch Strait around Novorossiysk, uh, but that essentially covered a, a lot of the eastern half of the Black Sea, uh, and placing those very capable systems in Crimea, uh, now they have coverage of a, a majority uh, of the whole Black Sea with that long-range uh, long threat envelope. And then as well, even before Crimea, February 2014, the sea-based part of that anti-access area denial capability was being addressed. Going back to 2010, the uh, 2020 State Armaments Plan uh, earmarked the Black Sea Fleet for modernization. 
uh, and we're now starting to see those platforms arrive. Uh, so improved Kilo class submarines uh, with the caliber missiles uh, weapon system, uh, thousand mile land attack cruise missiles, very capable uh, anti-ship cruise missiles that can be launched from those submerged submarines. Uh, the first of the six improved Kilo submarines uh, arrived at the end of last year. Uh, and then in the other uh, domain and the surface Navy, uh, same thing, uh, already planned to have six uh, modern uh, Admiral Grigorovich frigates in the Black Sea Fleet. Uh, the first of those, the Admiral Grigorovich, uh, arrived this month uh, into the Black Sea Fleet. Again, the same thing, a thousand mile land attack cruise missile, three to 400 mile uh, supersonic, high speed, very hard to defend anti-ship cruise missile uh, now in the Black Sea and able to operate there. Uh, so that's uh, one side of the scales in the balance. What about the other side of the scales, uh, the alliance, the Western nations? Uh, Ambassador Wilson talked about Turkey. Uh, that is, uh, at first glance, the most capable of those uh, three Black Sea state NATO nations, uh, just in terms of numbers. Uh, the Turkey, Turkish Navy does have uh, their own uh, Type 209, uh, relatively modern diesel submarines, as well as frigates uh, and corvettes in numbers. Uh, but a few quick points about that. Uh, first of all, that Turkish Navy's divided attention between uh, their Black Sea uh, and as well the Eastern Mediterranean, which is similarly a very complex uh, environment that they have to pay attention to, especially if you're in a ratcheting up with, uh, with Russia, who has uh, a permanent presence in the Eastern Mediterranean at the time as well. Uh, secondly, then, you look at the weapon systems on those platforms uh, and essentially uh, harpoon missiles, anyone who's following U.S. Navy matters. Uh, it's a issue we are taking very seriously that we've now limited ourselves in the ship-to-ship -ship missile capability to the relatively short-range harpoon missile. Uh, so we are not, neither the U.S. Navy, uh, but in this case talking about the Turkish Navy, not able to outstick, again, those long-range uh, hundreds of miles range supersonic anti-ship cruise missiles, and it turns into uh, a very poor matchup, either projecting into that land-based uh, zone that Russia has, uh, or uh, even in a out on the high seas, ship-to-ship -ship, uh, kind of a battle, uh, definitely at a disadvantage just based on that weapons capability and range. Uh, Romania and Bulgaria then, uh, even smaller, both in terms of total numbers uh, and then in the class of combatants that they've got, uh, again, lighter frigates, corvettes, uh, and capable uh, and, and uh, well-intentioned forces, but essentially defensive in nature, and again, not able to, to go out and uh, project against that Russian capability. Uh, and then for the rest of the alliance, as Ambassador Wilson said, non-Black Sea state NATO navies are going to be very limited, uh, both in numbers of ships, in tonnage of warships, and also in the duration uh, that they can stay in the Black Sea. So any larger NATO uh, presence in the Black Sea is going to have to be pretty well planned out and mapped out given the fact that any ships that rotate in have to very shortly rotate back out. So there are, uh, of course, as we'll cover the rest of the day, a lot of other arenas uh, that the transatlantic community can look at the Black Sea. Again, staying focused on this military uh, balance issue. I would suggest uh, the transatlantic community, the NATO alliance, uh, definitely needs to uh, maintain, increase uh, a thoughtful, uh, transparent, 
but very clear increased military presence in the Black Sea region. That includes air, that includes naval, uh, and that does include land. Uh, so land forces, I think we just saw from uh, Secretary General Stoltenberg at the Defense Ministerials uh, just talking about uh, a Romanian-Bulgarian-centered land training facility, so commitments of land forces, the other NATO nations rotating land forces through there, uh, again, exercises and training. From the U.S. perspective, uh, to keep those exercises just like we do in the Baltic region, uh, but focused on the European Reassurance Initiative and Operation Atlantic Resolve, which is the, the rotation of U.S. land forces through those areas. I'd love to see a, a dragoon ride through Romania and Bulgaria, as we've seen it go through uh, some, of the, some of the other uh, farther north eastern NATO nations. Uh, for the naval piece then, again, uh, what that really requires is that leadership. Ambassador Wilson talked about the Turkish naval leadership in the area. Uh, again, I think uh, those three NATO Black Sea states uh, definitely need to take on that leadership. Uh, if only because of the limitations of getting the rest of NATO navies rotating through there. Having said that, that's what we also need is that commitment to maintain that presence, to rotate that through from the U.S. and other NATO Navy nations. Uh, that includes exercises. Uh, that can be a full NATO exercise, uh, but also bilateral or multilateral. Uh, I think today, uh, as we're in there, USS Porter uh, from U.S. Navy Sixth Fleet is in the Black Sea, is conducting exercises. Uh, again, that's part of that European reassurance. It's part of that Operation Atlantic Resolve. Uh, we need to keep that up, uh, not just with our NATO allies, but also with those partner nations, Ukraine and Georgia, uh, in the region. Uh, and for air, uh, similarly, uh, increase those rotations. Uh, there's been talk of a policing mission similar to the Baltic Air Policing. Not quite the same situation, but maritime patrol aircraft, uh, intelligence surveillance reconnaissance aircraft rotating through uh, would be very good. Uh, another thing I'll throw out there uh, to close on uh, is perhaps a renewal of the Black Sea Naval Forces. So going back uh, decades prior to the current tensions, all of the Black Sea states cooperating in maritime security options. Uh, it's obviously uh, fallen by the wayside now with the current tensions, uh, but looking at Black Sea Naval Forces, uh, restarting that, uh, one, it enables us to work with those partner countries, Ukraine and Georgia. It also, though, offers some incentive, uh, and again, uh, as Secretary General Stoltenberg said here, uh, it's not mutually exclusive to build up a strong deterrence and defense uh, as well as to engage at the same time. It's potentially a path to engage uh, the Russian Navy in the Black Sea region as well. Thank you very much, Ambassador. Thank you. Uh, first of all, let me start by saying that uh, the security of the Black Sea era cannot be reduced to the military aspect and that we need to focus on achieving comprehensive security in which political strategic stability, predictability, respect for international law, democracy, economic prosperity are all mutually reinforcing. And now turning to this uh, specific uh, part of the panel, the changing military balance in the Black Sea, I would argue that there has never been a military balance in the Black Sea area. I will also advocate for not setting military balance as a goal in the Black Sea area and I will explain later why. Now, historically, it was mentioned here uh, by Mr. Wilson, the Black Sea um, 
can be expressed as an area uh, of uh, rather powerful uh, power politics between uh, certain visions uh, of the Black Sea, Ottoman Turkish Lake, Russian Soviet Lake. In the 1990s, there were probably the first time in history of this region when this pattern was broken and high hopes emerged for actually using the region as an opportunity. How, however, those positive developments or this positive thinking uh, was um, in a way uh, uh, disconfirmed by the events in Georgia 2008 and of course recently Crimea, Ukraine 2014. Um, once again, in what some refer to as post-Crimea era, the Black Sea is now on the brink of becoming, unfortunately, uh, I have to state this very clearly, a fault line between Russia and the West. I am sure I do not need to point out to this informed audience the geostrategic importance of the Black Sea from where power can be projected towards Central and Eastern Europe, the Balkans, the Caucasus, and Central Asia, but also towards the Eastern Mediterranean, an important regional energy and transportation hub. We are faced now, and it was mentioned here, with a sharp Russian military buildup in the wider Black Sea area. A2AD measures mentioned here, enhanced naval presence, near permanent military bases in the two separatist regions of Georgia, even nuclear saber letting, to quote an American official, reinforced military presence in the Transnistrian region of the Republic of Moldova, and general volatility and insecurity generated by the protracted conflicts, uh, illegal annexation of Crimea, and uh, a spike in military activities and capabilities in the peninsula of that some see as a new Kaliningrad, intensification of hybrid activities. If left unchecked, these trends, in our view, could spiral out of control with serious consequences, not just for the immediate region, but for other more distant geographic areas and international security at large. So what needs to be done, and what is Romania's position in this landscape? Now, Romania is a frontline state. While this is non-enviable role, the current context is more favorable than in the past, given our NATO and EU membership in NATO. In the NATO framework, the Black Sea region has gained more attention at the strategic level, and as a consequence, the Allies consider a more regular multinational NATO presence in the Black Sea with various components. Of course, any such presence will be defensive and in line with international law mentioned here, including, of course, the Montreux Convention. The partnership with and the contribution of the U.S. to these measures remains paramount for making the Black Sea a more secure region. The ambitious ERI proposal is a proof of the continuing leadership of the U.S. and its willingness to uphold allied security in the region. These measures, 
dovetail with the investments of the Black Sea allies in their own resilience. Romania, for instance, will allocate, starting uh, with 2017, for at least 10 years, 2% of its GDP to the military budget with over 20% for procurement. We launched a transformation and modernization program of the Romanian armed forces until 2026, and this includes also the naval components. <clears throat> we are also contributing to allied measures by hosting the multinational Southeast headquarters on our territory, as well as the BMD facility in Deveselu that was officially integrated into NATO BMD system last month, just last month. And we are, of course, the largest, uh, the fourth largest contributor with troops uh, in Afghanistan, just to speak about the dimension of our military policy. In addition, the Allies will strengthen political dialogue and cooperation with the partner countries, including Georgia, Ukraine, and the Republic of Moldova, who need our assistance given the wide range of threats they are faced with, and that I mentioned. Now, Unfortunately, there can be no return to business as usual in the area of the Black Sea or in the wider area of the Black Sea until Russia returns to respect of international law. And while practical cooperation with Russia remains suspended, political channels of dialogue remain open, the recent NATO-Russia Council being a proof of that. In addition, especially in times of tension, it is important to keep the lines of dialogue open and seek more transparency. We have all the instruments in that respect, including the developed, those developed in the OSCE framework, such as the Open Skies Treaty, the Vienna Document, the Conventional Forces in Europe uh, Treaty. These instruments need to be fully implemented and used in good faith. We call on Russia to take a constructive approach to modernizing rules on military transparency. After such a sobering view, what do we expect uh, of the future? As I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. our long-term vision for the Black Sea is not one of a military balance of any kind. We hope for the Black Sea to see uh, the Black Sea as a cooperative paradigm at political level, broad regional ownership of the Black Sea, respect of international law, including the freedom of navigation, a space where states are free to pursue their foreign policy options and where people's aspirations to live in democratic free societies are fulfilled. And of course, greater connectivity around and across the Black Sea enhance uh, energy security. Also, that will be discussed uh, later in this seminar. Now, just a few words uh, for the approaching uh, NATO uh, summit in Warsaw. Uh, it was mentioned here that uh, Romania uh, opened discussions with uh, NATO allies, especially Turkey, uh, but also Bulgaria, uh, in order to uh, generate, uh, first of all, a certain NATO strategy for the Black Sea, and of course, uh, a framework for uh, cooperation of the navies, uh, of the NATO navies uh, in the area of the Black Sea. Uh, this is uh, not an easy task, of course, uh, due to various reasons I won't get into, including historical reasons. But I can tell you that the discussions are uh, going on well, that there is the will uh, to have this framework of cooperation 
to have a, a NATO umbrella for this cooperation uh, of the navies of the uh, three NATO countries. Uh, and I think this is needed in order uh, to, uh, let's say, not necessarily counteract what is a very powerful Russian military buildup uh, in the area, but uh, to uh, create an intelligent uh, deterrence in this very complicated and uh, tense uh, situation, a response uh, in this respect uh, being needed. Of course, uh, the ideal uh, will be to have uh, in the medium uh, term and the long term a cooperative uh, paradigm in the Black Sea, but until uh, that is reached, uh, we really need NATO to focus strategically on this area, which is very exposed uh, for the southern, uh, for the eastern part uh, of uh, NATO. Much discussion is uh, going on with respect to developments in the Baltic uh, uh, Sea. Uh, we appreciate uh, the. Uh, threat posed by Russia in that area, but the same uh, level of threat with uh, some nuances, with some differences, of course, uh, is related to the wider Black Sea area due to recent events uh, uh, in, uh, in Crimea. Uh, due to the fact that Russia views, uh, unfortunately, the Black Sea as an epicenter of its uh, uh, security policy as a platform for power projections in uh, various directions, including Europe, including uh, uh, the Middle East and the Caucasus. And uh, those need to be addressed uh, by a, uh, an intelligent uh, NATO strategy uh, in the area, uh, highlighting and emphasizing uh, the importance uh, of the Black Sea for the security of the alliance and uh, Euro-Atlantic space in general. Thank you very much. Mm. Thank you, Mr. Ambassador. Um, Bill. Uh, John, thank you very much. It's an honor to be with you uh, today. Uh, I think this forum is particularly timely because in the last couple of months, uh, activities in the Baltic Sea that have seemed to be uh, raising greater security concerns have gotten a lot more attention than the Black Sea. But in reality, security risks in the Black Sea are probably greater than in the Baltic Sea. So thanks for scheduling this at this time. Until two years ago, the Black Sea region was mostly peaceful, except in Georgia. Risks climbed with Russia's thrust into Ukraine and uneasy relations with Turkey. Uh, the West should take steps to deter expanded aggression and diminish regional vulnerabilities. Three sources of conflict have endangered the region. All involve Russian pressure on neighbors, Georgia, Ukraine, and Turkey. In the 1992-93 civil conflict in Georgia's region of Abkhazia, over 10,000 people died. Russia intervened and Georgians were expelled. In 2008, a five-day war began in Georgia's region of South Ossetia, but well-prepared Russian forces also flowed into Abkhazia. Russia has recognized both regions as independent states. The West is providing economic aid and military training to Georgia, but no lethal arms. Shortly after the 2008 war, President Medvedev declared that Russia had privileged interests in certain regions. In February 2014, after President Yanukovych fled office, Russian forces seized control of Ukraine's Crimea region. Moscow then annexed it. 
A few weeks later, Russian proxies and forces invaded Donbas in eastern Ukraine. Fighting there has caused 10,000 deaths. The West has imposed targeted sanctions on Russians and banned many transactions with financial, energy, and defense entities. As with Georgia, the West is providing Ukraine with economic and military aid, but no lethal arms. Last November, a Turkish F-16 shot down a Russian Su-24 near the Turkish-Syrian border. Moscow responded by suspending visa-free travel by Turks and by restricting some Turkish businesses and imports. Russia has also aided Syrian Kurdish forces, whom Turkey regards as a threat. In addition to those three uh, security crises, two dogs in the Black Sea region have not barked, but bear close watch. In spring 2014, Putin implied that Russia's goal was to take all of eastern and southern Ukraine, what he called Novorossiya. But as Ukraine mounted defenses in Donbass, he went silent on this issue. A second concern is the potential for Russian forces to interfere with shipping to and from Odessa and Ukraine's other major ports in the Black Sea and Sea Azov. Ukraine lacks military power to deter or neutralize such harassment. What might the West do to reduce security risks and vulnerabilities in the Black Sea region? First, NATO might step up patrolling, uh, naval patrolling. This would not be without risks. A year ago, an unarmed Russian combat aircraft buzzed a U.S. naval destroyer in the Black Sea and last week, Moscow complained about a U.S.-guided missile destroyer there. Last September, however, the annual largely NATO sea breeze exercise took place without the usual Russian surge of its own warships. Second, the West might make additional efforts to help Russia and Turkey alleviate their differences. The risk of another incident or overreaction is higher when politics are on edge. Moreover, the differences hinder cooperation in diffusing the Syrian crisis, which ultimately would serve Russian, Turkish, and U.S. interests. Third, the West should do more to help deter aggression in Ukraine and elsewhere in the Black Sea region. Russia's military actions have become less predictable. Thus, Western defense postures should focus not on second-guessing intentions, but on putting in place effective deterrent capabilities. These include rotating uh, air power in Romania and conducting exercises with regional military forces. The European Reassurance Initiative ought to be fully funded. Although the White House and Europeans are disinclined to arm Ukraine or Georgia, this option should be re-examined if aggression were to be expanded. West Western unity on sanctions is important. They may not be decisive, but they will likely have some influence on Moscow's decision-making calculus. Thank you. Well, thank you. Oh, we've had four very strong presentations. I will take the prerogative of the moderator and ask the first question or two, and then turn it over to the audience. Uh, most of our speakers talked about strongly enhancing NATO's presence in the region. Uh, Ross, you talked about the importance of the West's kind and NATO kind of acknowledging Turkey's leadership role in the Black Sea. Uh, 
do you think the Turks would be willing to permit a much augmented NATO naval presence in the Black Sea? <clears throat> uh, I think it depends in part on, the answer to your question depends in part on what enhanced NATO presence means and who's doing it. Um, to the extent that the NATO presence is Turkey, Bulgaria, and Romania, that's uh, one set of issues. Uh, they're Black Sea littoral countries that have rights to station forces there. To the extent you're talking about outside forces, that's another set of issues that is relatively unbendable. Uh, it wasn't bent during the Cold War. It's difficult to imagine, it, as tense as the current situation is or, or could conceivably become, that it's going to, that it's going to be like that. Um, I think Turkey will be very wary, even when it comes to working with Bulgaria and Romania, of, of taking steps that have the effect of, making the, of, of adding to the likelihood that the Black Sea will become a zone of conflict, of real conflict. Um, they want to avoid that. They want to avoid that at all, almost at all costs. Um, I'm not so sure it's a matter of appeasing the Russians, but it is definitely not a matter of not provoking risks or dangers for Turkey, as well as for Bulgaria or Romania, that, that people have not, uh, have not uh, very, well, uh, very well thought through, including because of the reality that uh, NATO enforcements to the Black Sea, especially the further east you're going, either require transits, uh, of the Straits, or at least require very large-scale cooperation with, with Turkey to make it happen. All right, well, that, that leads to a second question. Uh, of course, strengthening the NATO presence in the Black Sea is not just a matter of ships. It's also land forces, also air. So uh, I'll pose this to Ambassador Mayor. Uh, if, if Turkey is, is reluctant to permit uh, augmentation from outside of the Black Sea into the, into the sea. Um, might that put more interest, greater emphasis on enhancing NATO troop presence air in, in the Southeast headquarters? Yes, uh, <clears throat> first of all. Uh, I should have mentioned uh, also in my presentation, uh, also taking uh, into account uh, the upcoming uh, summit, NATO summit in Warsaw, uh, the idea to uh, put forward by Romania and other allies uh, to create a multinational brigade uh, uh, based on this uh, uh, headquarters uh, which is located in, in Romania uh, for uh, reinforcing the south, uh, southern part of the eastern flank. So you have this uh, concept uh, for the Nordic part uh, with a multinational uh, rotational uh, brigade composed of uh, uh, four battalions, I think, uh, rotating on the uh, territory of the Baltics and Poland. Uh, we would uh, like to do that uh, also for this part of the eastern flank, which is exposed uh, in uh, various uh, dimensions uh, I've mentioned uh, to certain threats. So uh, Romania is willing to put resources into this. Uh, it's discussing with several, several allies uh, about the multinational component of this uh, brigade and I think this will add uh, to the overall concept of a certain uh, 
deterrence uh, in the wider uh, Black Sea area. Uh, let me just come back uh, for a few seconds to uh, naval cooperation. Uh, everybody is uh, apprehensive not to, uh, let's say, uh, what was mentioned here, to provoke, to disturb uh, the uh, international regime of the Black Sea, the Montreux Convention, the, uh, let's say, historical uh, aspects related to a certain uh, perception in respect to who's controlling uh, the Black Sea. Uh, to say, uh, to be very blunt. Uh, I think it's not the case uh, for those countries uh, to uh, reiterate the fact that we are working in an international law regime uh, with these uh, concepts and those uh, proposals. First of all, uh, the party, unfortunately, who's uh, infringing international law and did that uh, uh, quite uh, clearly was Russia in the Black Sea, including, uh, I will uh, argue, uh, the INF Treaty <coughs> with certain military uh, build-ups and uh, developments. So what we want to do is also uh, counteract those uh, infringements upon international law in an international law framework. Not only deterrence in purely military terms, but also cooperation uh, an openness in terms of uh, trying to make the sea uh, not owned by somebody, but shared by the littoral states, uh, including countries like Ukraine or Georgia, who deserve that. <coughs> and their security is very much, uh, unfortunately, exposed and vulnerable because of frozen conflicts, uh, because of open conflicts uh, recently, and so on. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I would love to ask two more questions, but it really would not be fair. So I think we have a question over here. Please, please identify yourself. Stand up and identify yourself. My name is Adrian Kutuzov. I'm the Bulgarian, uh, Bulgarian DCM. Uh, so uh, I would like to offer. Speak into the microphone so everyone can hear you. I would like to offer a short Bulgarian perspective. Please. Uh, on how we see the things. Um, what's going on in our region. So um, I would like to thank, first of all, to the Atlantic Council for placing uh, such a focus on uh, the increased uh, strategic importance of uh, Black Sea security. So it couldn't be more timely moment ahead of the Warsaw Summit. Uh, we uh, share the same concerns as um, Romania. We, uh, the, secu the security situation in uh, our region affects our national directly our national security. So we very much share the concerns of uh, Romania. Um, so we are trying to identify with our Romanian and other partners uh, possible mechanisms to under the NATO umbrella and with the support of the United States to find possible mechanism for cooperation uh, in our region as an effective tool to build uh, better deterrence and uh, an instrument to resolve conflicts in our region. We very much um, hope and expect that the forthcoming Warsaw Summit will place 
a great importance on the security in the Black Sea region, and we very much hope that uh, this uh, issue will uh, find its uh, due place in the final communiques and documents. Uh, at the same time, we've been doing our um, homework. We are modernizing our um, armed forces. Uh, our parliament has uh, approved recently uh, ambitious project in uh, modernizing our uh, air forces, modernizing, uh, acquiring new uh, patrol, multifunctional patrol battleships. So uh, this will be our contribution to the overall efforts of NATO to strengthen the security of the eastern flank and the Black Sea security. Uh, so um, if I may end uh, with a question, uh, it's our duty to put this issue, the importance of uh, the Black Sea security, higher on the agenda of the next U.S. administration. So if I may ask uh, you, our hosts, uh, what we should do to raise the awareness of the next administration on, this, on the importance of the Black Sea security, especially in case the next uh, president is uh, he and not uh, she. <laughs> thank you. Okay, thank you. Questions? All the way in the back. Uh, thank you. Uh, Sergei Mishirak, Ukraine. Uh, there are a lot of uh, legal instruments which could influence the situation in the Black Sea. And namely, uh, the Ukraine could denounce the uh, treaty on the status of the Russian Black Sea uh, fleet in Crimea. So it means all the armament which are in the Crimea in illegal. And so the question arises as far as concerned implementation of the Mentrock Convention. Uh, the second is that uh, Ukraine uh, have uh, to denunciate the treaty on the status of Azov Sea which now is in internal waters and make it international waters. So it could make uh, possible the access of the allies of the Ukraine military ships in the Azov Sea. And the third is uh, the Danube Convention. And the questions have to be raised as uh, the participation of Russia in Danube com com uh, Conventions and stop uh, to participation in the convention because it was purely a political reason of accession of Russia to Danube Convention. And uh, uh, what do you think uh, about this, uh, these steps and how you could command this necessity of uh, this step uh, to be taken? Thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, I'll put that question. If that matter, anyone wants to comment on um, our colleague from the Bulgarian Embassy panel? You're the right person to ask, answer the last question. Uh, okay. Uh, I think that both the government in Kiev and, for that matter, uh, governments in the West have been very slow to utilize international law to push back and try to roll back Kremlin aggression. I think that, and this is very unfortunate, that the same reason why, even as, as we discuss enhancing Black Sea security um, on this panel, 
um, folks expressed um, concern about provoking Russia. That same mindset applies also with uh, the use of the international legal system. The West has been slow, e even to this point, in saying flatly that the Kremlin is committing aggression, and that aggression needs to cease, and we need to use all plausible um, tools to stop it. Um, financial, although we've been doing that with sanctions. Military, we've done a little bit, but not enough. And in the legal area. Uh, because if you say flatly that the Kremlin has invaded another country, that suggests you should react in a stronger manner than you have. I think that explains why there's not been a serious look in the West at those legal tools. I'm not, I mean, so that, that to me, I can explain why the West has been slow. I can't explain why the government in Ukraine has been slow. It may be they're overwhelmed. It may be they receive bad advice from the West. It may be that on this issue, they're just not competent. But with that, anyone else want to comment on our, okay? We have a question over here, Ariel. Please identify yourself. Good morning, Ariel Cohen, the non-resident senior fellow um, at the Atlantic Council. Excellent panel, thank you very much. Two questions, essentially. One is, do you think that we are at the point of no return, that we pass the point of no return, in which we can walk back the security situation vis-a-vis -vis Russia in general and in the Black Sea uh, theater in particular? so that we're getting back, that we would get back to the status quo antebellum uh, 2014. And Georgia is, of course, sticking out as a pivotal initial event, but 2014 really clinched it. And the second panel, which is uh, the second question that is related to that, is we did not hear much about integrating Georgia and Ukraine into this NATO new an improved, um, for the lack of a better word, and forgive me, order of battle or deployment, uh, looking forward if I'm right in my assumption that we did pass the point of no return in the confrontation with Russia. Thank you. Well, good questions, Ariel. Okay, anyone like to? Just to please start uh, with the second part of the question related to Ukraine and Georgia. I think I mentioned the importance of uh, NATO uh, cooperation and, uh, with those countries in terms of uh, uh, the reform of the uh, military and the security sector uh, in those countries, uh, which uh, has a direct effect on uh, stability and then uh, the capacity of uh, those countries to co uh, participate in a, uh, cooperation uh, for security in the area. That's one aspect. The second relates to uh, the need uh, to, uh, let's say, um, speed up uh, <coughs> NATO uh, partnership with uh, Georgia, uh, first of all. Uh, Georgia was um, uh, 
denied uh, NATO uh, accession uh, back in 2008 at the summit in Bucharest uh, for various reasons. Uh, they had uh, this uh, uh, objective as a strategic national priority. They are still working uh, on this uh, premise. I think uh, the idea of a NATO open door policy should apply the, uh, in the medium and the long term future uh, for uh, countries that are really willing uh, to join and are uh, proving themselves uh, capable of, uh, uh, let's say, uh, uh, applying uh, the general NATO standards in terms of politics, in terms of military uh, internally. Uh, we shouldn't uh, discount uh, this uh, long-term uh, possibility of countries uh, like Georgia joining NATO and, of course, uh, countries like Ukraine uh, enhancing their uh, cooperation uh, with NATO, uh, which is a positive thing in terms of, in our view, in terms of uh, the overall security and stability of uh, the region. That was the second part of, uh, I want to approach the first part. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Because so much of what Russia is doing uh, in its near abroad with neighbors seems to relate to domestic Russian politics. Increasing authoritarianism in Russia seems to correlate with more aggressive postures abroad. Um, the West can't do much about that. Uh, Russia has to evolve politically uh, on its own. Uh, Western policy ought not to be to contain Russia, to, to cut it off from the outside world. Our Western interest is still to, to engage Russia and have it relate to the outside world. But it is appropriate, with Russia being more aggressive uh, in its uh, neighborhood, for NATO to increase uh, deterrence and defense capabilities. And there are three main theaters. that we've seen in Ukraine, how after a very short period of time, after the Russians came into eastern Ukraine, the Ukrainians learned how to fight, organized defenses, pushed the Russian proxies back, and then the Russians had to bring in their own forces. Uh, it kind of suggests that deterrence does work. Does Ukraine raise the threshold of pain, raise costs to Russia of further aggression? Russia gained a lot less territory in eastern Ukraine than it had aimed for at the beginning. Now NATO has uh, a challenge uh, to raise the threshold of pain, if you will, to aggression in the Baltics, Poland area, and in the Black Sea. The NATO defense ministers yesterday agreed on uh, putting several battalions uh, up in that area. Uh, in addition, a U.S. Armored Brigade um, a team may go up in that area and uh, some prepositioned stocks for another Armored Brigade team. In the Black Sea, however, there are still only occasional deployments of U.S. naval ships. Uh, the question that Ambassador Herbst posed uh, earlier, in some sense, is moot because the U.S. Navy has so few ships. The Montreux Convention allows three ships by the United States at any one time on 21-day patrols in the Black Sea. We only have one ship there, and that ship is not there permanently. Uh, there needs to be a permanent deployment of NATO ships, warships, in the Black Sea, just as with the rotated forces up in the Baltics area, in both cases to act as tripwire forces, if you will, forces that would complicate 
planning by any potential uh, aggression uh, and that would raise the, the cost of, of that aggression. And yep, if I may also support. just to quickly address the, the integration uh, with Georgia and Ukraine. Georgia, uh, as a NATO partner, has been very well integrated, for instance, in the deployments to, uh, to Afghanistan over a decade. So there's definitely, uh, you know, that continued partnership, uh, certainly beneficial. Uh, and I think the, the, even if it's medium or long term, uh, kind of keeping that, that partnership uh, high profile, but also keeping that open door uh, can uh, hopefully have a, an overall stabilizing, uh, stabilizing effect on the region. Just to follow up really quickly to what, uh, to what Bill said, the, the deaf men's also came out talking about those four battalions up in the, the Baltic states uh, and Poland. Uh, it would be great to see that, as uh, Ambassador Mayor uh, mentioned, uh, but we're also having trouble filling them. We're having trouble finding uh, the framework nation to lead uh, at least the fourth one uh, of those. So that's, uh, you know, getting down to the pragmatic pieces of it, that would be fantastic to see uh, r rotating through southeast, uh, but uh, practically uh, a challenge, uh, as we're already seeing. Uh, Bill raised an interesting point, Captain, I thought you might want to comment on. Do you think that the United States would be able to maintain uh, Turkish allowance taken into account? Uh, a ship in the Black Sea almost continuously or continuously? Yeah, so what the U.S. Navy currently has is four, uh, four ships home ported uh, in Rota, Spain. Uh, one of their primary missions is ballistic missile defense, so they're on station uh, in the eastern Mediterranean a lot. So just capacity-wise, keeping a, a ship rotating in and out of the Black Sea is exceedingly challenging. I think if you want to add other NATO navies into that, and yeah, that's what I'm saying, it, it, it's hard just to figure it out, because not just us, UK, France, Italy, one, all otherwise occupied, uh, even in the Mediterranean or elsewhere globally, but you know, two, you know, figure out that patchwork and figure out how you can cover it to keep a persistent, uh, if not permanent, presence. And, and just to add there, um, uh, one of the problems, challenges the United States faces in maintaining a nearly continuous presence in the Black Sea, which we did, in the context of the Russia-Georgia war for weeks, if not months, is that, is that uh, we have relatively few naval warships that uh, fall under the tonnage limits that Montreal provided, because that, that tonnage was set in 1936 when naval ships were a little different than today. So we have a small pool, even leaving aside some of the, the other issues that are raised here. Go back to Ariel's question. Um, Ariel, your, your question it typically is, 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 in one sense, right on the mark. Are we past the point of no return? The question a policymaker is going to ask is, how do we make sure that it isn't past the no, point of no return? What, it is, what can we do that will influence the situation in ways that will be less threatening to our, our allies and less threatening to our neighbors? And it seems to me that the key things are actual, are, are actual um, concrete steps, not declarations, not symbolic steps, uh, but, but real deployments, um, partly naval, but also ground. It's not enough to have a, a naval frigate floating around in the Black Sea. Actual deployments in the first order of magnitude with our treaty allies, uh, Bulgaria and Romania, uh, and where we think it's prudent, where we're prepared to follow through on what that commitment means, 
in Georgia and, and Russia as well. Uh, I, this is, that has been a very rich question. I just want to add one point to it. We've already seen some reaching out locally from NATO to non-NATO Black Sea members. I mean, there's been serious Ukrainian-Turkish naval cooperation since the shootdown of the Russian airplane. And we're going to see more of that. Okay, a question over here, and then we have two more. Thank you. I'm Elaine Sarayo. I'm Associate Rector of WIUU in uh, Ukraine. Uh, my question is a combination to Ambassador Courtney and uh, uh, Captain Horrell and, um, excuse me, Ambassador Wilson. You just pointed out on what to do. Uh, and Ambassador, Cor and Ambassador uh, Courtney, you started with a point about uh, we need to step up to the issue where more in a term of a military aspect. Could, um, could, for instance, a coalition of people from the military of the different countries like Turkey, Romania, Bulgaria, Ukraine, and uh, Georgia, who all are responding to this issue on the Black Sea, could uh, this kind of coalition of military people uh, be drawn together, let's say, at National Defense University to help to uh, coalesce a group to carry forth a plan? And does that seem like a, a reasonable approach or, or one of many reasonable approaches? Thank you. The Defense Department at the Marshall Center in Garmisch, Germany, uh, does actually a lot of that kind of pulling together of folks across the, the wide region, but also smaller regions. Uh, and so a lot of personal relationships have been built up, ideas have been germinated at the Marshall Center. It's, it's a productive activity. So I would suggest any multilateral effort should be NATO-centric should be based on the alliance. It should include then uh, those partners. The flip side of that is that uh, NATO planning with a capital P uh, is then uh, limited, has to follow kind of the political decision. Uh, it'd be great to see and, and you know, possibly is occurring in terms of prudent thinking uh, conversations under the, the NATO and partner uh, sort of arrangements. Uh, but then, you know, again, it, I think we're all looking to the Warsaw Summit for, uh, for kind of the high-level high top cover to do more. Well, Not sure I can add much. Okay, thank you. Nadia McConnell, U.S. Crane Foundation. Uh, so what about sending a non-lethal military ship, medical ship, to the Black Sea to help treat uh, the wounded and also do some training? Uh, we have, I think, what, four uh, wounded soldiers from Ukraine here at Walter Reed, but the need is so much greater. And uh, we've used these before. Um, as, as I suggested earlier, and you, you might have come in a little bit later after my opening remarks, uh, we, we, uh, there was some interest in doing this uh, in 2008 on the part of the United States. Uh, I think it was the USS Mercy, if I believe it's a ship, but it could, there are several, several hospital ships. The tonnage is something like 50,000, 60,000 tons. Montrose limit, I believe, is around 15 or 19,000 tons. It's, it's, it's not a matter of bending the rules a little bit. It, it, that's a huge, uh, a huge uh, violation uh, of what Montrose provides. Turkey 
uh, has exclusive control, presumably it could, uh, it could provide for such a deployment, that would be a very risky step for Turkey in terms of the overall Montreux regime uh, and the protections that Montreux provides, including with respect to Russia. And so the, the U.S. Navy hospital ship, definitely a very big symbol uh, when it goes in somewhere that can operate against you if you're pushing closer, uh, you know, with any of our NATO, especially U.S. ships, as they push, the closer they come, the, the steeper the Russian response uh, tactically uh, has been. So, you know, a great big symbol like that in close could have some unintended consequences as well. Uh, but there's, you know, as well, as we've been saying, it can go on the land uh, as well. So the number of, and it's all bilateral, but again, the U.S. and other allies who are doing training missions, uh, et cetera, uh, so certainly a, a, a medical or hospital mission, uh, again, safely in, in the western uh, part of Ukraine uh, could deliver the effects that you want mm -hmm. to uh, without some of the challenges that would be associated with the hospital ship. It's a race. Thank you. Thank you. Zerin Kahneman from Turkish Embassy. Uh, we also share the same concerns in that Black Sea region, and I think uh, we all aim to keep the Black Sea as a peaceful area. And oh, the implement... Embassy. Sorry? Which embassy? Turkish Embassy. Oh. And the, uh, of course, we all aim to keep the Black Sea as a peaceful area. Uh, and the implementation of the Commission, uh, Monte Commission, is uh, contributing to keeping the Black Sea region uh, in a peaceful area for years and years. And with some figures, uh, we have some figures that showing that the uh, non-literal uh, NATO states, the presence of the non-literal NATO states in the Black Sea has reduced dramatically since the 2014. So I would like to hear from the panel the views of the non-literal NATO states, how they evaluate of a NATO presence now in the Black Sea. Thank you. So um, we've still had uh, and not flying a NATO flag uh, from, from the alliance purposes, but yeah, definitely NATO nations have had their navies in there, again, under the same Montreux Convention uh, restrictions uh, that, that are in place. Uh, so again, I'd say we want to look to the Warsaw Summit, get that political guidance uh, for uh, the left and right limits of, of what we want that NATO presence to be. Uh, and then it is hard uh, just in terms of overall capacity to get those sort of commitments there. Uh, but again, just as a, a national missions and doing bilateral uh, with both allies and partners, uh, you know, multiple different NATO navies have been in the, in the Black Sea since then. Anybody else want to comment? Okay, we had a question over here. Uh, uh, this is Amish Shukri. I am from uh, Turkey. Uh, in the recent year, we, uh, recent days, we saw some development in uh, Turkey-Russia relations. Yesterday, uh, Recep Tayyip Erdogan and uh, Turkish uh, Prime Minister sent a congratulation message to Vladimir Putin and uh, to Russia government and people about uh, Russia's National Day. And uh, uh, from in this regard, is it in relation between normalization, uh, Russia-Turkey relation, and their policy toward uh, Black Sea security? Um, 
I've, I've read the press accounts of this, uh, this exchange of correspondence. These are, at least as I read it, the kind of standard messages that heads of state, heads of government send to other heads of state or government on the occasion of a big national holiday. Um, the, the, the text does express on, the, on behalf of Turkey an interest in, uh, in I, I don't believe the word normalization was used, but that's what it meant, normalizing relations, restoring, uh, restoring a good tone to relationship, and, and uh, uh, maximizing the ability of two countries to work together. I, I saw in today's papers a uh, statement out of, uh, I don't know if it was a Russian foreign ministry spokesman or maybe just a Russian official on background saying this was very nice. Turkey has some steps it needs to take before there will be a normalization of relation, not further specified. I doubt that there will be any significant change in the short to medium term uh, in, uh, in Turkish-Russian relations, especially not for the better. Uh, worse could happen, uh, particularly depending on what, uh, what, takes place, uh, what takes place in Syria. The main field of contact, I believe, is not in the Black, uh, of contest is not in the Black Sea. It has to do, uh, it has to do with Syria. Uh, and, and I think a, deterior, a further deterioration in Turkish-Russian uh, relations is not likely in itself significantly to exacerbate difficulties in Ukraine that have more to do, or in, uh, in the Black Sea, that have more to do with Russian behavior and action and the contest between Russia and Ukraine, and potentially Georgia as well. Thank you. Leandra Bernstein, Sputnik International News. A uh, question for uh, the panelists who propose persistent rotational U.S. presence in the Black Sea. Uh, earlier this month, the Russian Foreign Ministry said that they would take uh, retaliatory measures uh, regarding the U.S. destroy USS Porter that just entered the Black Sea. Uh, also called it a show of force by the United States, just like to get your thoughts on that. And for Ambassador Mayor, uh, whether you anticipate any resistance from other NATO members to your pending proposal at the Warsaw Summit for the Brigade, uh, the Black Sea Brigade. So certainly the, a Russian reaction to the U.S. Navy or someone flying a NATO flag uh, coming into the Black Sea is to be expected. Uh, and quite frankly, not surprising. Uh, as I said, they, they will try to kind of calibrate that reaction the closer you are to, uh, to Russian waters or uh, to Ukraine and Crimea. Um, and then it turns into, is it what we expect or is it uh, something more, more saber rattling? Uh, but one of the biggest concerns is it's something more unsafe and unprofessional. Uh, so as we saw in the Baltic, uh, that very close flyby by uh, SU-24 fencers of the USS Donald Cook. Uh, you know, that's, come out and see us. That's what we're all going to do, whether it's a, an aircraft up in international airspace or a ship out on the water. Come on out, take a look. We all do it both directions, but you have to be safe and professional about it. Um, I have not seen anything specific on, on Porter's current, uh, current, uh, current steaming in the Black Sea. Uh, but I would expect both uh, tactical aircraft, potentially long-range aviation, uh, Russian ships probably being trailed by an intelligence collector, and that's what we expect, and, it, and it's what we all do to one another. Uh, I think that, uh, uh, in general, uh, 
NATO allies uh, have uh, uh, in the past uh, months discussed very seriously uh, the relevance uh, of the eastern flank in general with uh, its components, the northern part and the southern part of this flank in terms of uh, uh, its uh, strategic uh, relevance uh, due to the recent events uh, uh, in Crimea and uh, the Russian uh, attitude in general. So there is, uh, let's say, a broad consensus that uh, the eastern flank should be uh, reinforced uh, in NATO uh, as a aspect of uh, deterrence uh, uh, towards uh, what Russia is doing in the region. Now, of course, there are nuances in terms of uh, analysis and perceptions uh, related to the level of uh, intensity of the threat uh, or, or the risk uh, for the northern part, uh, for the uh, southern part of the eastern flank. And those aspects are being debated. There are also debates related to resources, uh, of course. It's always a matter of resources in NATO for NATO nations when you have such developments uh, that are, uh, of course, uh, costly and uh, require uh, resources from NATO nations. Uh, there are also, of course, certain uh, apprehensions among uh, some uh, uh, European allies how to proceed uh, in terms of planning, in terms of uh, f uh, time frame, uh, but also uh, in terms of, uh, let's say, uh, explaining uh, and having the argumentation for why uh, doing this, uh, not uh, to, let's say, uh, create that uh, impression that this is an aggressive move uh, that uh, will, uh, uh, let's say, have no basis in terms of uh, a strategic logic towards uh, what uh, Russia did. So all those things are being uh, discussed. I think there'll be uh, uh, collective decisions, like always in NATO, uh, for uh, supporting uh, these uh, uh, developments uh, for the eastern flank, including land components, uh, multinational brigades, uh, until NATO uh, summit in Warsaw. I'm sure about this. Uh, I hopefully you want to add. Um, just to add that uh, the Russians are correct uh, that the USS Porter uh, is, in fact, a show of force. <laughs> um, the biggest problem for Russians is that um, what the Russians call the correlation of forces, which is the amalgam of power and influence that Russia has on the European uh, side of, of Russia, if you will, the European flank, is that the correlation of forces are moving against um, Russia in so many areas. Uh, because of the aggression, especially in eastern Ukraine, NATO is putting forces in the Baltics, in Poland. Ukraine has become alienated from Russia because of the aggression. NATO is rotating aviation forces in Romania. Um, Russia has much tenser relations now with Turkey because of its overreaction to the shootdown of the Su-24. And to cap it all off, uh, Belarus has rebuffed Russian pressure to establish a Russian air base in Belarus. 
So as you go all along the, the European perimeter of Russia, the correlation of forces are moving against them. Russia is essentially overextended in the, on the European front, and it needs to figure out a, a new strategy uh, to bring this into a better balance uh, relative to Russia's power and influence. One more question. Uh, Keith Smith from SEPA. Just a follow-up of uh, Mrs. McConnell's question on whether on the naval presence in the uh, to help the Ukrainians. Are there U.S. ships? And I've been following this, so it may be obvious. Are there ships uh, from the U.S. Navy that have been uh, gone to Odessa or carried out any operations to support Ukraine on uh, in the ports? Are there other NATO countries that, in fact, are showing any support for Ukraine uh, in the we'll say Western Mediterranean? Uh, Western Black Sea, are other countries from NATO doing anything? Are the Germans or anybody who have, uh, they, I don't think they send probably naval vessels to the Black Sea, but is anybody really interested in going and sh showing more support for the Ukrainians uh, naval-wise? Thanks. So, and uh, here's where my time as an alumnus of uh, Navier Six Fleet staff in Naples, uh, I look bad. I was exercise breeze and exercise sea breeze. Uh, two major multilateral exercises. One is in Ukraine, uh, and, and events occur in Odessa and in Ukrainian waters, and the other is uh, Bulgarian-led, uh, uh, and both of those have included multilateral naval forces exercising together. All right. Um, we're going to close now. I just want to make one point. Uh, it addresses some of the concerns, especially of, of our Romanian friends. Uh, the West was slow to recognize and respond to Kremlin aggression in Crimea. And I personally think the Wales summit was disappointing in, in taking necessary steps. But in the, in the meantime, and as we head up to Warsaw, the West has clearly taken strong steps on the northern front. Uh, I believe that over time, in between the Warsaw summit and the one after that, we're going to see serious steps by the West. We're beginning to see that on the southern front as well. And one of the reasons we're doing this relates to uh, one of our last questioners. Uh, when, when she asked if Russia would be provoked by us building up more in the Black Sea region. It's important to remember that all this is a result of a Kremlin invasion of a neighboring country. And all of these things, as, as Bill pointed out, are in fact weakening reducing Russian security. And the Russian general staff is not stupid. And this all contributes to dissatisfaction in Moscow with the policies of aggression, which we are trying to pull back, push back. So a little bit more clarity on why this all began will make us stronger in our response and lead to the right decisions in Moscow eventually. So we can then turn the Black Sea into an area of cooperation, as several of our speakers have put out as a vision. We have 15 minutes for coffee break. We can take questions during the coffee break, and then we have an energy discussion after that. Thank you.